We're going to turn to Acts chapter 16. And uh, it's this uh, scenario where uh, Silas and Paul are in prison. They've been helping uh, a girl who's been foretelling the future by a, a spirit, and they've set her free. But because she's been making a lot of money for them as a kind of fortune teller, they're in trouble because uh, there's no money being made anymore by the owners. So that's why they're in prison. I'm going to pick it up from verse 19, I think. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and uh, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. So, Father, I just pray that you would uh, help us uh, hear these words and speak into our lives this morning. Uh, in your name, amen. Um, it has been a great opportunity to launch uh, the Try Praying uh, booklet, the app. Um, has everybody seen a bus yet? Every, how many people have seen buses? Yeah, okay, there's been quite a lot of buses around, uh, sides and backs, and uh, encouraging to spot them. Do uh, send your stories in or your photos or whatever you find uh, about them. And we also launched last week our Try Praying series, looking and unpacking at some of the topics that are in the book. Um, but also, it's a fantastic opportunity to invite people along to. I think it'd be a great series for people just to come and understand. And, and uh, as Sue's friend said, as she sees it written down, as they start to hear it explained, uh, begin to engage with that. So if you could ask God for one thing, for one miracle in your life, what might that be? Uh, it might be for a relationship to be restored. It might be for a situation in your job to change. 
Uh, it could be to, to plead for some straying son or daughter to, to return or for a, a family member to surrender their lives uh, to Jesus. It might be for a water stop, for a nation to be reconciled. Maybe you would pray for regained health in your body or in your finances or in your prayer life. Whatever you request, the second question is, do we regularly and earnestly, every day, bring it to God in prayer, trusting that he is able to intervene in that situation? Um, many of us would uh, admit that we don't pray often enough about some of the deepest needs in our hearts and lives. Perhaps we give up, uh, we grow weary, uh, our minds wander, and uh, we think just perhaps that our prayers begin to feel empty, and so we stop praying and we lose heart in all of that. And sometimes it can even seem easier to put up with a difficult situation than to continue praying without effect, without anything really happening. In our better moments, we perhaps we reach out to God because we fundamentally know he loves us and he cares about us. But then we quickly fall back again. We, we doubt, we struggle. Can God really make a difference? Surely it's impossible. And so the question we're focusing on today is simply, is God able? Is God able to make a difference in our personal needs, uh, with serious problems in our lives or in our world? Does God have the ability to make any difference? And it might be that some of you don't believe he's got any involvement in our world. Or it could be today that you believe in your head that God is able, but do we really know it in our hearts? Are we really persuaded in our hearts? Because if I'm not persuaded in my heart, then I find it very difficult to pray about difficult situations. So we're going to look at the Bible, we're going to look at this passage because we know that faith comes by hearing, by hearing God's word in our lives. So we're going to unpack this narrative in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are in prison for their faith. And the first thing we see here is God's power over nature. Verse 25, it's about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. Great scene. Other prisoners are listening. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations, so strong that the foundations of the prison were shaken and the, the prison doors fly open, etc. Here we have uh, God's power over nature. God overrules a natural phenomenon somehow to accomplish his purposes. And uh, the timing of it and the positioning of it and the way that it, it acts upon Peter's situation, Silas and Paul's situation, uh, kind of brings that about. And we see it all the way through the Bible. For those of you that, that, that have read through the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, you will see rivers parted by an earthquake or by a strong wind where God intervenes because he wants his people to either escape from a land or to enter into a land of his choosing. We read uh, in the book of Exodus about hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness, and God provides manna for them. Manna is this, this they call it, he says, means what is it? It's a kind of manna from heaven. It's a food stuff. It's, it was reckoned to be some sort of carbohydrate, kind of insect residue that was very sweet, and they could collect it for six days, um, and they could get double on the sixth day because of the day of rest, and they could use it to eat. And it fed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people for many, many years. There's a time when a wind blows um, because they, they want meat. They complain to God. And, and so the, a wind blows a whole flock of quail across their path. And they quail till they're sick of it okay, because there's so much food uh, around. God intervenes. 
Jesus stands at the end of the boat on the Sea of Galilee and this great storm comes up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, be still because they're about to capsize. And the wind stops and also the miracles, the waves go calm, which often takes a long time to happen. He takes a little boy's bread and fish and he, he gives thanks to it and he feeds over 5,000 people in that situation. He turns bread, sorry, he turns water into wine. Bread into wine, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? He turns water into wine. God has power over nature. Uh, some of you will know the story from World War II, um, the famous miracle at Dunkirk, as it's known in the history books. And I even checked on Wikipedia, it's even known as the miracle of Dunkirk there as well. And the situation was the British army were pretty desperate. Um, Nazism through the Second World War, um, with its kind of arrogant hostility towards God and humanity and the truth, and its ruthless armies sweeping across Europe to the point where in the spring of 1940, Belgium and Holland had fallen. They'd been overrun uh, by those armies. And there were over 300,000 British, French, and Belgian troops uh, on the, uh, at Dunkirk, on the, on the beaches at Dunkirk in France. And they had the German army in front of them, and they had the sea behind them, backs to the sea, absolutely trapped. Now, back on the mainland, there was a, there was a, a guy, a guy called Rhys Howells, uh, a number of others probably as well, who had started praying earnestly through the war. And he'd gathered a number of students from, Bible students from uh, the Welsh, uh, the Bible College of Wales, and they'd been praying and praying through the war. And he, and he records in his prayer journal on, uh, at the exact time of this impending disaster, how they had a prayer time, and they really sensed the Spirit of God came upon them. And in such a way that they had an assurance that God was moving in this situation, as his prayer journals record. And then history goes on to tell us how hundreds and hundreds of little boats across the south coast of England uh, kind of went across the English Channel to rescue some three, uh, 350,000 soldiers. Okay? And the, on that day, the calm of the sea and of the weather was so calm that the smallest of boats could get across. And they rescued pretty well every single person from that situation. The miracle of Dunkirk was acknowledged by political leaders, by military leaders, because the calm sea allowed those smallest boats to cross and the most, almost complete evacuation of the troops. Churchill, in his famous speech on the beaches, hailed it as a miracle of deliverance and was a turning point in his leadership um, across that time of of, uh, of, the, of the battle. God's power over nature, but also God's power over circumstances. And again, in this passage, we read of that. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword because he was about to kill himself because he didn't get caught by the Romans for, um, for, not, for failing in his duties. But this incredible change of circumstances here. And a few chapters earlier, Actually, if you go on, you see it goes on where it says that they, they actually get the official order to release those men. The official order. It's not just they escape. They get the official order to be released. They're escorted out in the end. Such is God's power over circumstances. And a few chapters earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 12, there's a similar situation when Peter's in prison. And uh, the, the believers are gathered together to, to pray for his release. And amazingly, Peter is released from prison. And he, so much so that he turns up at the prayer meeting. He knocks on the door and he says, I'm out. And somebody comes to the door and says, 
Peter's here. And they all go, no, he can't be. He's in prison. And it's this bizarre situation where they're earnestly praying for his release, and yet they don't believe it when, he's, when he is released. And uh, they are so similar to uh, what we are like today. You know, we can pray earnestly, and yet we can get stuck at times in actually thinking that God would miraculously rearrange circumstances to answer prayer for someone's life. And yet God kind of, even their incomplete faith, he rewards that with a a change in history um, itself. And again, as you read through the Bible, we read of God's power over circumstances. We read of Daniel and his friends in the the fiery furnace and how they come out unscathed. We read of Daniel in the lion's den and uh, how he's meant to be mauled by the lion and yet the next morning he's, he's untouched and survives. We read of people like Sarah, age 90, who has a child in her old age. An impossible situation. And uh, we hear the testimonies of how God intervenes in the circumstances of life. I remember a guy, uh, he used to come to Riverside, a guy called Dave, and he was on the Alpha course. Um, and he t- one day we were just talking to him and said, do you remember a time in your life when God has, you look back on your life and maybe God's had his hand on your life. And he started to think back, and he was sort of in his 50s or 60s when he was on Alpha. And he looked back and he, sa- he instantly said, he said, there was one night when I was driving through Northfield. And he said, it was late at night, and I was driving to cross the Bristol Road. Many of you will know that road. And he said, as I got to the traffic lights that were green, he said, I had this strange sense that I should stop. He said, so I stopped at a green traffic light at midnight. And he said, as I stopped, a juggernaut, an HGV vehicle, went straight across the Bristol Road in the other direction through a red light. He said that absolutely shook him. And it was only now, decades later, that he was beginning to, to see that perhaps a God, there was a God who had his hand upon his life. And uh, God has power over circumstances. Um, there's a, you may have come across the story of uh, Brenda Myers Powell. Um, the BBC did an article on her. It's on the website and also a radio interview, um, as I understand it. And she, the headline is 25 Years a Prostitute. 25 years as a prostitute. And Brenda had a tragic childhood. Her mom died. She was only six months old. Her mother was only 16. She never knew how she died. She was raised by her grandmother, who was an alcoholic, and who frequently had male friends around. And she tells how they would regularly rape her from age five. Horrendous, horrendous situation. She was pregnant as a teenager, had two children by the age of 14, But she said, I always wanted to be like the shiny girls on the street corners and the shiny clothes that they wore. And she was bringing money home, um, working as a prostitute from age 14. She was trafficked. She was abused. She was often violently abused. And she said, for 14 or 15 years, I kind of didn't go down the drugs line. But she said, after that time, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I got addicted in drugs as well. She says, I was shot five times. I was stabbed 13 times. She said, I could never see a way out. And when she was nearly 40, a customer threw her out of her car. And as she was thrown out, her dress caught in the side of the door, and he dragged her for six blocks, um, ripping the, the skin off the side of her body and off her face itself. And she was in such a bad way that at the hospital, they, they called a police officer uh, to the hospital. And the police officer came in, and said, I recognize her, but she's only a hooker. She probably got what she deserved. 
And the nurse laughed, and they left her in the waiting room. And she said, I had no idea which way to turn. She says, I remember at that moment of desperation, looking up and saying to God, these people don't care about me. Could you help me? And then her testimony is, God worked really fast. She says, a doctor came and took care of me. They also sent me um, through kind of social support stuff to a place called Genesis House. And this place, Genesis House, she said, transformed my life. She said, my body healed, my face healed, and my soul healed. And her life was rescued and transformed. And now Brenda helps educate children. And now she helps prostitutes to escape what they're trapped in. And uh, even the state of Illinois, where she's from, completely erased her criminal record. Completely erased her criminal record. And today she's married, and they've adopted a child. God's power over circumstances in life, when people call out on his name in desperation, he comes and intervenes. But more than that, God changes people's hearts as well. And we read of this in this passage in Acts 16 where the jailer comes to them and he calls for lights and he rushes in trembling before Paul and Silas and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the household. And uh, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptized. And he was filled with joy because he came to believe in God, as does the rest of the house. His heart is changed. His heart is changed and turned towards God. And it probably wasn't the earthquake that turned his heart. It probably wasn't the prison doors because, as we read, he was going to take his own life because of that, because he'd failed in his duties. But actually, it's the fact that the guys stay. Those that are about to escape, they stay and they don't want him to be harmed. And it's that act of compassion towards him that opens him up towards listening to their message. Don't harm yourself, they say. And so he comes and he, and he trusts his life to this Jesus that they're talking about. And he trusts that forgiveness and transformation is possible because what Jesus has given his life, he's risen from the dead, as do the rest of those that live in his household. His servants, everyone around, his family members, once they've had it all explained to them, they too come and want to be believers. They want to trust this Jesus. And so the obvious next step for them is that they're baptized. They're baptized in water. And they all get baptized. They wash the wounds and they think, let's use it and let's all jump in. <laughs> I don't know what it was like exactly. But baptism is for everyone once they come to believe. Because baptism says to God, I truly want to belong to you. Okay? I want to turn from this world. I want to belong to you. It says to the church and to other believers that what God is doing in your life, he's also doing in my life. It says to the, the world around us, the people, the friends we know, transformation is possible. As we go into the water and we come out, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, we're washed clean. Transformation is a possibility for every single one of us. And it says to the spiritual forces of darkness, hands off, I no longer belong to you. I belong to another. And it's like putting on a wedding ring. You know, when, on the, when somebody gets married, they make a commitment, and this is a, a sign of that marriage. It's a sign of that commitment. And it's a visible sign for others to see 
And that's really what baptism is. And so I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized, having believed, to think about it. And we, ha- we were meant to be having baptisms next week. That might be a bit soon now. But um, you're welcome to talk to us about it. We'll have more in the summer, in June. But seriously think about it and pray about it um, because it's an important step in our lives. But God has power over human hearts. And right again through the Bible, we read of people whose hearts are turned and hearts are changed. We read of Moses and Gideon who don't believe they could lead their people and do what they're called to do. And yet God's spirit changes their hearts and they go on and do some amazing things. We read about the great Pharaoh of Egypt who has such a hard heart towards the Israelites. You know, he's got them in bonded labor. He's got them in slavery. He is really cruel with them. And yet as Moses and, and all that happens, God changes Pharaoh's heart. He softens his heart so he enables them to leave the nation and uh, the escape and have the great exodus. God keeps Elijah's heart from quitting. He's desperate to give up. He thinks it's the end of everything. And yet God just comes along and gently encourages him not to give up when he wants to end it all. And Jesus turns Saul's heart, that fanatical persecutor of the church, who ends up becoming one of the greatest exponents of the, the early church, right in much of the New Testament. Paul, Paul the Apostle, um, his ch- heart is changed when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Through the centuries, John Newton, slave trader, becomes hymn writer. And right across this room today, people's lives, where God has changed our hearts in many, many ways. And so we see God's power over human hearts. He is able He is able. But in every situation that we face, we have a choice. We have a choice of complaining about it or praising God within it. To complain and disbelieve or to trust and to pray and to praise. And when the Israelites in the Old Testament had been unfaithful to God, God says, you need to learn some lessons. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to send you to Babylon in exile um, for for a season, quite a long season. But he says, I know you're going to complain. And so he gave Isaiah, the prophet, um, some words before they got there because he knew what they would be like so he would encourage them. And we have it today as Isaiah 40. And it's a passage that reminds us of God's greatness that we've sung about. It reminds us that God is present, that God will provide, that God will give his promises and that God will grant his pardon to them. And uh, he says to them in this, in uh, verse 27, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? And they think God's abandoned them. They think they've been left completely gone, and they grow faint-hearted, and they grow weary of faith. And yet there's another way, because there is an everlasting God. The God of before is the same God Here, the same God now. He's the God who never stops working for you. He never stops working for you. Even when it doesn't feel like it, he never stops working. And so what do we have here? We don't have complaint from Silas and Paul who are unjustly imprisoned. But they're praying and singing hymns. They're praising God in the midst of their situation. To their everlasting God. To their ever-present God. And the others are listening to them and in marvel. There is power in prayer and in praise. 
in this situation. And those of you that know Isaiah 40 know how it ends with those encouraging words, those great promises that as we put our, our faith in his strength, we can soar like eagles when there's a crisis. We can keep running when the challenges are many. That we can walk day after day after day um, when things are difficult because he is the everlasting God. Hebrews um, puts it like this, that Jesus Christ is the same. He's the same then, yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. Okay? He never changes. The Lord, I the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3.6. God is unchangeable. Or as the theologians put it, he's immutable. He cannot mutate. Okay? He cannot change. He's always the same. God is able and he is still able. He is still able. He's able to give his followers all we could possibly need. We saw that two weeks ago. 2 Corinthians 9, the generosity of God. Okay? He supplies all our needs. He's able to save completely those who come to God through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine if we believe Ephesians 3, verse 20. And so, Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our unbelief. Impress on us, not only in our heads, but in our hearts, that you are able. And he invites us to surrender our lives. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Surrender your lives to me, and I will give you rest. To trust him, to bring things to him in prayer, even the impossible things. And you will begin to see the impossible happen through our lives. We won't believe the changes that will come into our lives, in our, in our relationships, in our families, in our careers, in our health, in our ministries, in our opportunities to invite people and to point people to faith in God, as we've even heard this morning, impossible situations where God has got involved. So let's pray as we come to a close this morning. Father, we simply come before you and ask you to forgive us for our unbelief. We each ask, Lord, that you would impress this deep into our hearts. That nothing is too great for your power, Lord. Nothing. There is nothing too small for your love. Help us be people that call on your name. And it may be this morning that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And his invitation is to you this morning. It's come to me. Come to me, says Jesus. Just like the jailer says, what must I do? Here's a simple prayer that you can pray. Just echo quietly in your own heart. If you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, here's the prayer that you can quietly echo. Thank you that you invite me to come to you. Thank you that you gave your life for me on the cross and that you are alive today and able to save me completely. I'm sorry for my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my complaining, all my wrongdoing, all my wrong thinking. I'm sorry, Lord. But I thank you that you forgive me completely. Please come and live in my life and lead me forwards as I surrender to you. 
Amen. And let's just, with our eyes closed, our heads bowed just now for a moment. If, if you've prayed that prayer with me, if you've echoed that silently, quietly in your own heart, then I just invite you just to, to look up from there and just catch my eye, just as a sign from you to say, yeah, I've prayed that with you this morning, Andy. Just catch my eye and then you can look back down again. That'd be great. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Father. I just pray now that you would just fill each one with that assurance and that faith, Lord, of, of your presence in each heart today and to lead us forward in Jesus' name. Amen.